Welcome to Code Grey's, an episode-by-episode recap of ABC's Grey's Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado. I'm Megan Totsky. And we are kicking off season two of Grey's Anatomy with the premiere, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Do you want to do a little summary for us? Oh, damn. Is it my turn? It's your turn. Ah, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are you going to time me? Uh, Yes, I am. Three, two, one, go. So in our season two premiere, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, we pick up pick up after Meredith has found out that McDreamy is married. She's super pissed. He tries to explain himself. She's not having it. Meanwhile, his wife, Addison, requests uh, Meredith on her service, and Addison turns out to be a lot more complicated than Meredith maybe expected. We're also dealing with Yang's pregnancy. Um, Burke breaks up with her as Yang is scheduling an abortion. So I covered, like, three things. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> okay. But, like, a lot happened in this episode. A lot does happen in this episode. And the recap of season one is, like, nine minutes long. Yes. <laughs> so much happened. <laughs> that recap went on forever. It was yeah, incredible. You really didn't even need to watch the first season if you had that recap. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it was, like, the spark notes of the whole season. And to think that the first season was only nine episodes. Can you imagine the season two recap at the beginning of season three? It's going to be its its own episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So (laughs) you got some of the points. Yeah. I mean, let's start with the big deal here. Yeah. Which is that Shepard is still married. (laughs) To Lady Shepard. Yes. Okay. And... And it just, I I like that it just picks up where they left off. You know, like, they're still standing there. It pans to Meredith at the bar shooting a a clearly unsafe amount of tequila. Um, And Joe buys her a shot of tequila after she sort of explains. Um, But it just picks up, right? It's not like a courtesy three-week delay or anything like that. Like, it just picks up from that exact moment that we left off in season one, episode nine. Yeah, which is pretty rare for Grey's, which has a pretty ambivalent timeline. Like, sometimes we (laughs) jump a week. Sometimes we jump, honestly, months. I don't know. (laughs) Yep. Once they did, like, almost a whole year. Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, yeah, which I like. I think it. I think it's. I don't know. It's it's cool. It feels like a natural, natural entry point. Keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it does. It does. So uh, we, yeah. But... So we start with Addison and and Doctor Shepard and Derek, and she's she's like kind of playfully insulting him, but also flirting with him a little bit. I guess if you can flirt with the person that you're married to, but she makes a Russell Crowe reference more than once she does. about Derek's hair. There are some seriously 2005 things happening in this yes. episode, or maybe we're into 2006 at this point, but man, that Russell Crowe reference is dated. <laughs> and it was honestly, it was honestly so dated that I was like, I don't remember what Russell, did he have hair like hair that? Hair like that? I know. Point? I know. I know. And she's also, one of the things that I think we both noted is that Addison is sort of resigned to Meredith from the get-go. You know, like, she's yeah. just sort of accepted her existence in her life and her husband's life. Um, and she's, like you said, sort of teasing Derek about it. And also, like, 
I don't even know the right way to describe how she's talking about Meredith. One of the lines she says is, she seems sweet, you know, <laughs> which we both recognize is is not a word that any of us would ever use to describe <laughs> Meredith. Right. Um, but she's clearly, she calls her like doe-eyed or something. And I think she's trying to make the point that Meredith is, is quite a bit younger than both um, Addison and Derek. But I just think her tone in that scene with Derek is so interesting. I think you're right that she is flirting with him, but she's also just sort of like, oh, so you're sleeping with someone new. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just think it's interesting. And it becomes clear later in the episode why she might be a little bit, I don't know, cavalier about the fact that her husband is sleeping with another woman. Right. But it is, it does kind of beg the question of like, is she, does she really feel that comfortable with the reality of the situation or is this or is this an act like is she putting on this sort of sassy devil may care attitude and face or or is she really like that and I don't think we know even by the end of this episode we yeah. just we don't have enough of a sense of who Addison is yeah we don't know her character at all um, and it is really tough to tell particularly with like you said this um this confidence that she has, you know, that she has from the beginning, from her very first introduction, really carries through in this episode of just this total confidence. And you really do struggle to understand whether it's sort of a false, a false confidence or not. Yeah. Like it's this false bravado or is it the real, like genuine thing? And she's just kind of yangish in yeah. her personality. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it makes her an interesting character from the beginning. And so, particularly the way that they pair her with Meredith for this whole episode right. serves to really drive home both how insecure Meredith is at this point in her like life and career. And then of course, where this <laughs> by contrast, very grown woman is <laughs> in her life and career. Yeah. 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 And so she, um, she's not actually there to see Derek, right? She has not come to sort of get him back we we sort of see that that's maybe where things are headed but she's there because the chief has flown her in for for work to work on this particular um, neonatal case of a, a woman who has is pregnant with twins um so she's sort of another sort of interesting piece to the confidence bit and we'll get into this later when when she's working with meredith but she's been flown in from across the country as an expert in her field which puts her sort of <laughs> at yet another level above Meredith, right? <laughs> right. So not only is she uh, clearly an attending surgeon, um, very accomplished woman, confident, married to Derek, yada, 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 but also is sort of the, the true expert in her in her very specific field. So I think that she's she has all but a cape when she comes in, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is, is, again, a nice uh, dichotomy, or, you know, contrast for, <laughs> to Meredith, who's... <laughs> A baby. <laughs> it's just like slouching her way. Right. So Addison episode. actually requests to have Meredith on her service, which is so, what a power play. <laughs> a brilliant bit of villainy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and you just know that the whole episode is just going to be just painful to watch. It's just, it's like a slow car accident. <laughs> That you can't turn away from. <laughs> and yet, surprisingly, there isn't a car accident. There's episode. not. Yeah. Yeah. They actually kind of like, it, it's kind of delightful to watch them work together. You know, yeah. it's, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Especially if you like watching Meredith suffer, which <laughs> well, I think has to be part of the appeal of this show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess we can back up a little bit and talk about Meredith during this this early early scenes here when she's at the bar with Christina. It's so great. They have they have this pity off. <laughs> like Meredith's like she says something classic like let's take a vote on who has the worst life. <laughs> Just something. <laughs> she goes I bet you I'll win. I always win. <laughs> It's so sad. It is so sad. <laughs> and she's there drinking tequila and Christina's sitting there with her cup of water, you know, sitting at the bar and you're like, oh God. <laughs> it's like the worst case of would you rather. You yes, know? exactly that. And then to make it worse, George is there and oh my like inhales and snorts his beer upon finding out that McDreamy is married. And I would just want to like throw up in that moment. There's nothing really more gross. disgusting than George spitting beer all over a bar. It's, it's pretty awful. disgusting. It's just totally horrible. Yeah. So then George excuses himself because he spit everywhere. And then <laughs> Christina takes that moment to let Meredith know that she's pregnant. Um, which is, of course, not a surprise to us, but is, a, you know, Meredith doesn't know this and, and more so has no idea that Christina's even seen someone. So Meredith, I, I, I think that we see Meredith and Christina's relationship develop in this in this episode quite a bit um we we gather that they're very close but meredith makes a point of saying like well who is it and she says i don't want to talk about it and she's really pushing uh meredith away throughout this episode of i don't want to talk about it it's none of your business leave me alone and meredith's like you're you're my friend why would you tell me if you didn't you know throughout the whole episode it's meredith sort of frustrated with christina and i think as a girlfriend rightfully so you know like yeah. you're clearly reaching out and then you're pushing me away and i can't support you if you don't let me you know, right. like you clearly want support and I'm just going to fight my way in until you let me help you. And yeah. I think that most girlfriends with a stubborn friend <laughs> have been in that situation before of like, you need help. Just just let me in, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. And and Yang is just clearly incapable, incapable of doing that. She just she just totally refuses for the whole episode. And she just looks so pained for the whole yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, I think which possibly right. she is in pain because she's pregnant, but <laughs> right, right. I think it's and mostly I... emotional, spiritual pain. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I one of your your comments on our notes here was that she's trying really hard to sort of remain cerebral about the situation, and it's obviously really affecting her her whole self. And I think that that's a really good point. You know, it's easy to think, and I even made the um, you know made the jump to say like, does she even care about Burke? You know, what is even going on with her? She, her exterior is exterior is you know um, an inch thick and it's so hard to see what's really going on and I think that you're right that what we really see is is just her trying to <laughs> trying to get by and and you sort of maintain her sense of self while she's going through so many different things um and she's not a person who's used to relying on other people um and that's why I think that this thing with with Meredith in particular is you know is so challenging for her yeah yeah and <clears throat> It sort of highlights the show's emphasis on female friendships and the power of female friendships that Meredith remains relatively patient throughout the episode with Yang. Yeah. And even though Yang is clearly pushing her away in a very similar way mm -hmm. to how she's pushing away or not being totally present with Burke, Meredith sits that out and she's she's eventually rewarded with a tiny little bit of vulnerability at the end of the episode. Yeah. But yeah. Burke is incapable of that kind of patience. 
because his his investment is yang in yang is is so different and kind of so unequal mm -hmm. and it's not that i blame burke for his actions in this episode but i think it's a really telling episode that he doesn't he doesn't know yang well enough to know what's happening <laughs> not yeah. that she's pregnant but that she's that she's trying to keep some part of herself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that we've seen that throughout their relationship with him trying to, you know, push the relationship issue, push different issues, go on dates with me. You know, what is this? Who are we? You need a definition, et cetera, things like that. Um, but this, I think, and this takes that a step further, right? That he's just clearly just so unaware of of what she needs in these moments. Um and and I, I agree I don't necessarily blame him. So the, my thing with Burke is like at this point he and Yang have been sleeping together for kind of some amount of time. Mm -hmm. So is it fair for us to sort of judge him for for not getting Yang yet? <laughs> For, like, you continuing know, to push his own sort of relationship agenda despite knowing who he's sleeping with? I think it is fair to judge him a little bit for it, you know? And I think particularly in this episode, when he... At the beginning, he try to ask, tries to ask her out on a date, and she asks for some space and says no. And, and then he... This standoff between them in the stairwell is, like a jarring polarization from that early when he first tries to ask her out in the early part of the episode. And then he screams at her in the stairwell, sort of demanding yeah. to know what it is that she wants. Um, and I, that moment is he's so emotional and it's so like, it's so loaded and it really doesn't feel like it has anything to do with Christina in that moment. It, or certainly some, but he's also dealing with the stuff from the chief and being tapped as sort of interim chief. Um, and he's under a lot of pressure but I think his energy in that moment is so misplaced and it's so inappropriate and he's giving Yang no space at all, which is exactly what she's asked for. And I think that we both made the point of like, yes, he, he you're, you're exactly right. He has been sleeping with Christina for, you know, a whole season, however, you know, several months, presumably. But he is also a 40-ish year old single man, you know, like yeah. to me, it, it's it's less about understand your partner Christina Yang and more understand signals from your partner whoever they are right you know like to me he's like riddled with inexperience in this episode of like you are not handling any of your emotions or any of your communication or any of your interactions with your partner with any sort of maturity you know like it doesn't I don't know it's, it's like he just feels really off base in a lot of ways and I, I understand that he's frustrated but the way that he's communicating that just strikes me as very inexperienced. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just an unexpected, it's just an unexpected incapacity yeah. <laughs> to communicate with a partner. Yeah, exactly. Because he's so competent in so many other areas of his life. Yes, yes. And I, I yeah, I just, I just feel like he should be more practiced Yeah, <laughs> at these kinds of things. And he's just, he is all over the board here. And it's it's tough to watch that knowing what Christine is going through, you know, yeah. like it's really tough for him to not even give her an inch of patience, despite not knowing that she's that she's pregnant right now, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and it does sort of beg the question about Burke of like, 
what is his dating history? Like, what is his story? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, do you have no experience with women? (laughs) (laughs) What have you been doing for the last two decades, man? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I just really fail to see. And I think you're right that it's a huge contrast to his otherwise, like, you know, incredible professionalism and experience in other aspects of his life. You know, he's just emotional and petty in a lot of ways. Yeah. Anyway. So let me ask you a question. Okay. So Yang and Meredith have the pity off. So I'm going back to the bar with yeah. Joe. Yeah. Which we'll have to go back to anyway. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> who do you think won that battle? Well, so I... Yang's pregnant. Yeah. And <laughs> with doesn't... Burke's child. And has been trying to get an abortion for like 10 <laughs> months. You know? Yeah. Like... <laughs> Why are they um, giving her such a runaround about this? How is she still trying to schedule her freaking abortion? Yeah, I know. I know. I think that in in terms of the reason why it's such a tricky would you rather is because each is worse for themselves. You know, like there is nothing worse for Yang than being pregnant with Burke's child. And there's nothing worse for Meredith than finding out that Derek has a wife. You know, <laughs> like if the situation were reversed and, you know, Christina found out that Burke was married, she would be like, okay. <laughs> bye (laughs) you know and if meredith got pregnant she like it would almost solve some of the problems for her you know like i just think that each is the is the worst for themselves does that make sense yeah yeah i think that can totally i think that can totally make sense i don't think i know that that's that they're the worst nightmare for each person (laughs) yeah yeah you know and i do think it's interesting that if the other if it happened the other way both of them sort of alleviated because <laughs> you know? yang would totally be like well i guess this makes it really easy like right we're just having sex right exactly it's it's borderline what she wants you yes. know you know yes. and for for meredith she would you know might even be a little excited i don't know maybe that's maybe that's a stretch too far but like <laughs> she's looking for something more serious with derek you know she's recognizing that she's falling for him and she's ready to sort of take that next leap as we saw by her confiding in him, in him. Um, about her mother and so on and so forth. So I think that it, it's interesting how they both think that they won. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I guess for me, be, being in Yang's shoes in that situation would be the worst, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, I think I would have to go with, I I would also go with Yang. I, I Yeah, I think that Because her... I think that growing a human inside of your own human body is just terrifying. I don't. It's like one of my greatest nightmares. <laughs> All I'm thinking about is the scene from Alien. Just so that's. You know. I was, dude. I was just gonna say, like, that's all I'm thinking about. Alien is clearly a commentary on pregnancy. Yes, clearly. It is. Do not tell me it's not. Okay, so we should talk about Joe a little bit, because oh, yeah, I think should. that leads us kind of into some other storylines as well, with our yeah. other interns. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Who are still on the show. <laughs> I liked your commentary. Talk us through Joe a little bit. I like oh where you t- talk about Joe's Joe's bar as like an honorary character of the show, okay. starting now. So something that our listeners need to know is that I was drinking a bit of wine when I wrote my notes on this episode. So, Which I think you should always do. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. But I started thinking about Joe. I was just thinking a lot about Joe. 
he's the bartender uh, at the bar that's apparently across the street from Seattle, Grace, and that all of the doctors and their patients go to. Mm -hmm. And he's just at this by at this point in the in the show, Joe just becomes a regular <laughs> because <laughs> episodes from here on out are pretty much always going to begin or end at Joe's bar. Yep. That's just going to be a new thing. Yep. And he actually he actually shows up in the last season as like an extra. And I guess they must have liked him so much that they were like. Great. Oh, in the first season. Yeah, yeah in the first yeah. season. Yeah. They were like, great, let's let's bring this dude back. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a great choice. Yes, I totally agree. But yeah, he should really have his own, like, Joe's Bar should be credited in the opening credits. Yes. Uh, which are mercifully finally short. It's not the oh, full, God, that full <laughs> stupid credit sequence anymore. <laughs> Thank that God. That song is horrible. It's, it's like the orange is the new black opening credits. Oh, my God. <laughs> where you're just like, well, I'm going to go and eat a meal. Right. <laughs> and then come back and watch the episode. <laughs> I think at this point, orange is the new black is just trolling everyone. Like, they know. Right. They know. They know that that's, that that's what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> It's like everybody gets their snack ready during that time. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> Everyone puts on their like waterproof mascara for their watching <laughs> right. party. Right. right. But um so my other question about Joe, so so basically is like how old is Joe? Because someone so Joe in this episode passes out. He has mm -hmm. some kind of thing in his head. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> That's I, the technical term. I I think I think you're right. Some kind of thing. And the good news for him is that he's right across the street from the hospital. So, right. and he has two interns drinking a lot of tequila. Well, one intern drinking a lot of tequila, <laughs> ready to rush him over to the hospital. Right. But when he's there, you know, Miranda, uh, Dr. Bailey, <laughs> talks about how, like, she can remember Joe from when she was an intern. <laughs> Yeah. And like she used to go over there and I don't know, like order a Shirley Temple and read through her notes. I never even made that connection. That's a he is ageless. Like who Joe does not look older than Chandra Wilson. Is that no. her name? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He he does not look older than her as no. an actor. They look at least the same age. He, he looks, could possibly be younger. I don't understand. How old is Joe? If I had to guess based on this episode and like if you just showed me his face and his hair. <laughs> it's bad hair. Whole, it's not Russell Crowe hair. It's it just is bad. not Russell Crowe hair. Um, it, I would guess he was like 35, maybe? Yeah. yeah. 30? Yeah. I early would say 30s. like in his early 30s. Yeah. 30s. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't. not old enough. <laughs> To be serving 40-year-olds 20 years ago. <laughs> like, you know, like, I just don't. It could, like, the issue could be that I don't understand how old Miranda Bailey is. Like, right. that could actually right. be the issue. Right. I'm and not sure. Well, and, and I guess she's a resident, right? Yeah. And so she's her, not an attending. We just yeah, think of her as an attending. I don't know. He's ageless. Joe yeah. Ageless. I mean, I'm, I'm positive that the chief was like, I've been shooting the shit with Joe for... <laughs> 15 years. Right. <laughs> so right. basically my final conclusion about Joe was that I felt like he's a spirit 
and he's haunting the grounds of Seattle Grace. And then it finally occurred to me that he's a Hogwarts ghost. That's what Joe is to the show from this point forward. Right. And that's it. <laughs> that's that's what I add about Joe. It's your, it's your whole song and dance great. Well, yeah. what happens with Joe, right, is that he's got this huge, I think it's an aneurysm. That's I'm pretty possible. sure it's an aneurysm. I can't remember. <laughs> um, I'll have to look it up. But he has no insurance. He has no health insurance um, <sighs> because he owns a bar, which apparently those things are, that's normal <laughs> based on this context. And the, the surgery that Joe needs is uh, a standstill procedure, uh, which is essentially it's medically induced hypothermia so that they can do brain surgery on Joe. Um, and the surgery costs a couple hundred thousand dollars, yeah. which Joe can't pay for, no. which I understand, but I also don't understand. It seems to be a very lucrative bar, you know, <laughs> like there, it's always full. It's across the street from a hospital that's filled with alcoholic doctors. <laughs> and so I don't understand either how he can't afford the surgery or how he doesn't have medical insurance. <laughs> and that is probably a root of me not fully understanding how much it costs to own a bar. But well, <laughs> and I think we have we have a couple of answers here. So first of all, it's 2005. So Obamacare doesn't mm-hmm. exist yet. Mm-hmm. So he's he's totally prey to insurance companies like he's, right. he totally has to private market it. Which, if he's single and doesn't have any dependents, he's probably like, oh, I don't, why would I I spend that much on insurance? Right. You know? Like, I don't have any reason for it. Number two, (laughs) one of those doctors at the hospital across the street, Alex Karev, has, (laughs) he has a tab of, like, $700. Yeah. Yeah. So it's possible that Joe is... A really nice guy and not a great small business owner. <laughs> because, for instance, that alcoholic anesthesiologist from last season, like, maybe that dude owes thousands upon thousands of dollars to Joe's to bar. Joe. And Joe's too nice to collect. And he also gives Meredith free drinks when she's there. Uh, every time. So, yeah, and every time. So, <laughs> that is point... Point well taken. <laughs> like, not to blame the victim here, but come on, but, Joe. <laughs> get it together. So where does that bring us to? So George, so it, it becomes clear that Alex frequents Joe's bar and has like, <laughs> I feel like this narrative's a little bit forced. This, this like, 100%. this relationship between Joe, Alex, and George in this episode is like, just kind of pisses me off. You know, like, I don't really... I don't know. It, it just, the whole thing just feels forced to me. I don't know if it felt that way to you, but it was like, okay, I guess Alex spends all his time there, but how does he t- have time to go to Joe's as much as he says he does and also run three times a day and also be an asshole doctor <laughs> and also sleep with everything that moves? I just think that Alex Krev maybe has more hours in the day than the rest of our interns. It's true. <laughs> like Alex has tapped into like a, a time turner, you know, yes. a la Hermione Granger to keep this going. <laughs> Please do. Harry uh, Potter and the Cursed Child just came out last night. I so. know what that is. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. So, don't worry about that. So but it's we should we should say part of the weirdness of the this dynamic is that so in the season one finale, George cold clocks Alex in the locker room oh, over yeah. a woman. Yes. 
So there's also that issue. So Alex is deeply invested in, what's his name? (laughs) Joe. (laughs) Alex is deeply invested in Joe because that's maybe like the only friend he has in Seattle. George is deeply invested in Joe because George doesn't have a storyline. So Mm -hmm. Joe is an intersection of how we're going to resolve the Alex-George conflict, which is absurd. And, like, kind of a waste of my time. Yes. As a viewer of the show. <laughs> Absolutely. who only wants to see what happens to Addison. So. I was just going to say, like, if these storylines don't involve Addison, then, like, why the fuck am I watching What are we them? doing? Exactly. So George the, the, has been called to, by the chief, um, who's, you know, still recovering in the hospital, is is being called by the chief classically to do something non-surgical, which mm-hmm. I, I think begs the question that you raised of like, this is becoming a weird reoccurring thing where George <laughs> does not practice medicine. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, which is, I think, a little bit concerning. And I, I, I'm now I kind of want to like bet on when next we will see George practice <laughs> medicine, you know, like of his own volition, not standing, you know, on the sidelines in the operating room. <laughs> I think, because um, I, I was thinking about this too, and I think it's this season, and I think it's Heart in the Elevator, mm, and I don't know where when that is in the season, but yeah. it's the only bit of medicine I can ever remember George practicing. Yes. Yes. I think you're right. <laughs> it's not a good sign. I think you're right. So... George um, has been called by the chief to like essentially be his his non-surgical job, sorry, to get back on track, is um, to essentially put his ear to the ground at the hospital. <laughs> um, do you want to explain your, your family's pension toward, uh, what do you call it here? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I went on another tangent. <laughs> yeah. And I so, really like this one. I think this is a good, this is a good narrative <laughs> of so, your family. <laughs> The chief asks George to be his eyes and ears, as you just said. He wants to know everything that's happening in the hospital. And this is, we assume it's partly because the chief has just found out that Mick Dreamy and Meredith are sleeping together. And he was like the last person to know about it. This was in the season one finale. So he doesn't want to be in that position anymore. And he's laid up with his eye tumor. So in my family, we refer to gossip as... She's me. And we're, I'm like, I love it. I live for she's me. Like <laughs> I, I'm just really invested in it. And so is my brother actually. <laughs> and we like routinely ask our mother for she's me. Like when we talk to my mom, you know, every couple of days when he's in college and when I wasn't here, <laughs> it's like, so do you have any she's me for us? <laughs> And uh, so basically what I realized is that the chief is also a slut for Chisme. And that is a real point of connection between me and the chief. I didn't have one before and now I do. And I'm really grateful for it. And he's a good... (laughs) He's a good guy to have in your corner for it. Yeah, it's great. exactly. He's a great ally. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. It's Cheeseman. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. yeah. Chief. Yeah. yeah. I thought this was a dumb storyline, but I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, and George is shitty at it. <laughs> yeah. He's so bad. He's way too white for the job. Yeah. That's the problem. He like, yeah. He, like, can't handle the secrets, and he can't filter what's good and what's bad, and he can't relay any of it, and he's just, like, a... He's just shit at it. 
Well, he, <laughs> he, like, the chief asked, like, the communications anti-major, George O'Malley. Right. To be, like, his primary communicator. Like, his spokesman. <laughs> like, <Right>. what? <laughs> what are you thinking? Have you heard this man mumble his way through a diagnosis or... A greeting. <laughs> Izzy would have been. Izzy is the clear choice for oh this my God. job. <laughs> she would have been golden. And you know, he just picked wrong. Yeah. Um. So George finds out um about you know of course finds out about Derek being married and then he sees sees Yang and Burke making out in the hallway. <laughs> and yep. you had something very funny about this when he <laughs> I forget where it is. <laughs> When he brings it up, who does he bring it up to? He, I forget who he says it to. I oh, think he Meredith. brings it up to Meredith. Yeah. Yes, and he asks Meredith, "Do you know why Yang would be kissing Doctor Burke?" You know what this <laughs> reminds me of. You know what this reminds me of. This reminds me of the Annie episode when he says, "What's that <laughs> about her tumor?" You know, that's exactly right. <laughs> Why would they be kissing? I was like, "Where I what?" He's like, a, "Why do people kiss, George?" I don't know. Like, what is the purpose of those lines? Are there like people who are watching this show trying to like take classes about human interaction who don't see those things, and we need him to explain them? I don't you know. know. Like, but what it... is the purpose? I just don't. If, it's... if they're watching Grey's Anatomy to figure out human interactions, they're in for a rough time (laughs) (laughs) it's an advanced course (laughs) so george george is just like flooding with all of these things that are going on um i can't remember if he finds out no he doesn't find out that christina is pregnant yet uh yet (laughs) and he can't so what he's put his energy into is trying to help joe pay for his surgery um and he's Seems to be just asking the chief for money. Can we do it pro bono? Is there a budget for it? The chief says, no, we all love Joe. I'm sorry, we can't do it. Whatever. Um, Get me some gossip. And George says, no, I'm going to do this instead. (laughs) Um, And in fact, at some point says, you can go ahead and fire me. This is what I'm going to do. Or something along those lines of like, I don't even know what you're being fired for at this point. Which the chief really should have taken him up on. Yeah. Great. You're fired. Oh, finally. It feels so good. Everyone's better off. And so his solution, which I really do not understand. No. Um, so part of the standstill procedure is that you you ice a body, um, you take down the body temperature so low that all systems stop working. Um, so your your heartbeat stops and your brain function stops. And you have essentially 45 minutes to do this. And so Joe will... No, isn't it? Wait, isn't it 17 it's, minutes? It's 45 minutes, but by the time... George realizes it. There's 17 minutes left on the clock. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so, because I also thought that I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, so he George with 17 minutes left in in um, Joe's uh, deceased state, temporarily dead state, um, realizes that he can, I guess, donate in paper, donate. Joe's body to science. Right. Which is, I feel like I understand that donating things to science is a thing, but I feel like that's such a vague term for, for, 
for like who so they signed a paper and then he came back to life like I just the logistics here are really really lost on me and I was going to research it but then I thought that it was just too stupid and I don't want to give George that kind of credit <laughs> so I didn't so um George decides to donate Joe's body to science he brings the papers to the chief the chief is like I didn't ask you to do this stop <laughs> doing this and George says so fire me <laughs> and like runs off um and <laughs> And it just smells illegal to me. So um, eventually the chief decides to sign the papers. Yeah. I, <laughs> Megan. I, I have so many questions about the storyline. I don't understand. Because so, my thing is like, so he's sitting in, you know, the, the viewing area watching the surgery. Mm-hmm. And he just has the sudden epiphany of like, ah, Joe is dead and he goes running out mm-hmm. and i just it sounds to me because he he makes some big speech to the chief and he's talking about all of these vague research institutes <laughs> that that would never you know pass on the opportunity of a lifetime to to study the effects on a dead body that is going to come back to life or something, something like this. And so what I'm so confused about is, wouldn't those institutes have 17 minutes to perform that research? Exactly. Has he ever written, like, proposals for grants take a lot, like, grant writer is a job. It's a job, and it's a <laughs> shit job. I mean, it's a good, it's a really fucking hard. Yes. <laughs> so, like, I don't understand. Like, he shot off an email. He got an emailed response back. This surgery is being performed at like midnight. So someone right. at the grant office for, you know, the science. Bill Gates Institute <laughs> of Dead Body Science was on call and emailed him back. I don't, this doesn't make any, it doesn't it make any sense. No, I, I, I feel like there was more <laughs> logistics or more details about this case that got cut from the episode. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a chopped storyline <laughs> and relevant details are not being disclosed. <laughs> I need the director's cut. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Except I don't want to watch it because it's more scenes with George and That's true. that I don't care about. I guess I, I was wondering if maybe I just listened wrong and no. <laughs> they donated his body to science and like, they're going to want to do research on and him took it back? now that he's back. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe. they want to do research on him now, post-death. I thought, it's, whatever. <laughs> it wouldn't have ever happened. It's stupid. It's just stupid to even talk about it. If there's it. anybody out there who more fully understands this than we do, please, please let us know. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> because if it's our patients getting in the way, which is entirely possible, <laughs> we stand to be corrected. <laughs> Also, if there are any grant writers listening who want to, like, write in and explain how yeah. difficult their day-to-day job is. As a case. We'd love and, to highlight you. Exactly. Exactly. To further emphasize how improbable the storyline is. You're always looking for more evidence against George. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so what this leads to is... Al, this leads to the resolution that you were talking about um, between Alex and George. So George does this and, and sort of um, not, he's not showy about it, right? One thing I'll say about George is he's hes not looking for credit really in this, like his heart is sort of in it, right? He cares about Joe um, and 
which is not really what he should be caring about in this moment, but he does it sort of, he's not looking for the, for the accolades of it. He's just doing it because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And Alex finds out and he calls George champ from across the hospital and is like, hey champ, I heard what you did for Joe. <laughs> and then hugs George. In a moment that I can really only describe as as deeply unnatural and uncomfortable. And, and it's like the resolution between them, but it makes me want to like gouge my eyeballs out watching Alex call George champ <laughs> and hugging him in gratitude. I just cannot even fully explain how uncomfortable this moment makes me. I don't know if you <laughs> felt that way, but it. I don't really even want to talk about it. <laughs> it's... It's tough. It's uncomfortable. Um, I think that even even more unlikely than Alex hugging George. We've never seen Alex hug anyone. <laughs> I think even more unlikely is that Izzy is standing at, like at the nurse's station and can see this all happening in the room. And I swear to God, she just, she immediately transforms into the heart eyes emoji. Like she sees Alex hug George and she's just like, he's the one for me. <laughs> it's like wedding bells in her ear. Yes. And I'm like, girl, you just, <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> I also, as a small aside, feel like Izzy is on a part-time basis with this show these last couple of episodes. <laughs> You know, Catherine like, Heigl was like <laughs> paid hourly. <laughs> yes. That's how I feel. I feel like I couldn't remember when I was reading your little section about Izzy. I was like, was she there? Like, was she in this episode? <laughs> I'm just not fully sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Anyway, so I guess so. I guess now we're supposed to think that Alex is a decent human being, <laughs> based on Izzy's reaction. Yes. <laughs> Alex calling George champ. God. Anyway, um, what else? So that sort of wraps our our chief, uh, George Alex section Joe. here. Uh, Joe, that's right, ageless Joe. What else? What else do we you want to cover? We should talk about Meredith and Shepard. Yeah. We've talked about Meredith and Addison a little bit. Yeah. Um. But Meredith and Shepard is a, is a totally different issue. <laughs> yeah, it is. So at the very beginning, um, so I'll, I'll tackle the first part here. In the very beginning, when Joe passes out, Meredith brings him to the hospital. Derek tries to give Meredith Joe's case. He, like, wants her on the case. And she looks at him and says, I'm drunk and walks away. <laughs> Which I think Meredith is Meredith Gray is a hero. <laughs> she really is. She, she's wonderful. Um, and walks out of the hospital and Derek proceeds to chase her. And sort of says, like, wait, let's talk. Can we talk, please? Meredith, Meredith, Meredith. And she whips around in the pouring rain in Seattle. And I think this is one of the only episodes where we see, like, an, I have not lived in Seattle, so correct me if I'm wrong. But what I imagine is a more accurate representation of the weather systems in Seattle. Because it is pouring <laughs> through this entire, entire episode. I can um, vouch for that. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. Um, so she's standing in the pouring rain in her trench coat. And, and she looks so sad and so drunk. And she just, like, monologues at Derek. And she says, Go away. Just wait. We should discuss this. Here's a thought. No. Quit following me. At least, at least explain. Explain? You 
You know what you should have explained the night we met in the bar before any of the rest of it. Yeah, that would have been a good time to discuss it. Look, I know how you feel. Do you? Somehow I doubt that. Because if you did, you would shut up and you would turn around and go back inside because you would realize that I am this close to getting in my car and running you down in the parking lot. And then just walks away again <laughs> and leaves Derek standing in the rain like a cat. <laughs> yes. And we should point out that George gets her keys first. So Yeah, he does. And I think that's the smartest thing I've ever seen George do. It's I'm true. so proud in that moment of like, good job. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> it's not medicine, but that's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> So that's the first, that's how we sort of start off is, is she's just, she just rips through him um, in that first monologue and proceeds to avoid him for the rest of the episode until the last part. I think so. Is there anything that I'm missing before that last interaction? No, I mean, Shepard is mad at Addison throughout the episode for Mm -hmm. uh, taking Meredith as her intern on this, on this case with the woman who's pregnant with twins. Mm -hmm. And... So that's kind of a point of contention, and Meredith is sort of on the periphery of that storyline, which is frustrating to me because Derek is like, I don't know, I like Addison is vouching for Meredith's medical prowess or whatever, and yeah. kind of like goading Derek into think into saying like that she's not you know, competent enough to help Addison on this case. Right. (laughs) And she does a really good job of manipulating Derek into looking like just such an asshole. (laughs) She really does. (laughs) Good work, Addison. (laughs) But yeah, so then, so then that brings us to the final, to the the final part of the episode. So Meredith, this whole episode has been dealing with a pretty bitchy patient who overheard Addison uh, talking about, talking to Meredith about like, being the woman screwing her husband. Mm-hmm. And it, as it just so happens, this patient who's pregnant was cheated on by her husband and left him, possibly killed him. Unclear. <laughs> she is very bitter. She's so bitter. <laughs> she was tough for me to and I mean, watch. she was pregnant with twins <laughs> alone now. So, <laughs> but at the end of the episode, you know, she, the patient makes some kind of snide comment to Addison that's that's putting down Meredith for being a, a cheater, a mistress. And Addison stands up for Meredith pretty surprisingly yeah. and says, you have the complete wrong idea of, about this. I cheated on him. He didn't cheat on me. If anyone is a victim here, it's Meredith. So, and then she just walks away. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't say anything to Meredith, but... You, the next cut is Meredith out at Derek's creepy trailer. So we assume that Meredith is like, okay, Derek, there's more to the story. Fill me in, dipshit. Yeah. (laughs) Which he does. He then tells the whole story about how he walked in on Meredith cheating, not just cheating on him, but cheating with his best friend, Mark. And you have to understand that the story takes him, I don't know, about 10 minutes to tell. When he could it's have forever. just said, it's forever. she cheated on me with my best friend. That's so long. But he has to, like, Ernest Hemingway it, because that's, Cause that's, you his, know, favorite that's his favorite author. What is the fucking stupid line that he says at some point? He He's describing his reaction, like, how how the discovery made him feel. Pedestrian, calm and dirty, 
It was just so pedestrian, <laughs> common and dirty and cruel. And I just, a part of me died. That's a, that's a rough line. <laughs> if we want to talk about pedestrian, that, that monologue was pedestrian. It was terrible. We should maybe start a worst line of the week. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> that could be it. It could be it. And the episode just ends to just sort of wrap up the storyline, but the episode yeah. ends with Meredith walking to her car again and saying, it's not enough. Yeah. And then just driving away. Yeah. And it's, I I, I love how she ends it like that, you know, because mm -hmm. she has a, there's a pause when he finishes and she clearly pauses and clearly in her Ellen Pompeo's excellent <laughs> acting of, of the like meaningful pause when you know she's thinking about something and she yeah. really communicates that <laughs> and she decides in that moment like it's not enough and just yep. walks away and I think it, it's it's quite a powerful end to the episode you can see that she's sort of made a thoughtful decision she now finally months and months later has all the facts and has decided that it's it's just not enough yeah and it isn't enough and Derek just he just doesn't get it. I mean, he said he was sorry in the the final scene of the finale. He when he sees Addison walking towards him, he turns to Meredith and says, mm -hmm. "I'm so sorry." Mm -hmm. But he never says so far what he's sorry for. So it's no. like it feels much more like I'm sorry that I got caught in this. And, like, I'm sorry for myself that my wife yeah. slept with my best friend. You know, like, not, he's not apologizing to Meredith for, for... He's not taking ownership over his role in this at all. Yeah. Like, he he lied to her for what we assume is months. I mean, yeah. probably six or more months, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where they've had an increasingly intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. Meredith clearly is in love with him and is was getting pretty close to probably telling him i think yeah. that's a good reading of of the finale when she when she finally tells him about her mother right and and he's been using her this this whole time and even if he hasn't been using her even if he has fallen for her he still never felt that it was important to tell her about this and in fact made her feel like a nagging idiot for wanting more information about his life yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think, and I, I think and she was right this whole time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's really hard. You know, I think that, that I just hate it. I hate the lack. I hate the lack of apology and I hate mm -hmm. not taking any sort of responsibility in it. Um, and I think that that's really real. You know, I think that we see that a lot in like real life relationships is people well, the lack of a specific apology. You know, yeah. I think it really sort of hits on that and how meaningful that that would be to her and how right. understanding she might have been even even three or four months ago on the six month timeline. Yeah. You know, like just that's it's it's just such a fucking idiot guy thing to do to stereotype that entirely. You know, like I just I hate I hate that. And it makes me I think that we're supposed to I think we both express that I think we're supposed to feel badly for Derek in this episode. And, and I don't. You know, no. maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe it's just great writing that we're we're actually not supposed to. Um, but I think that at least I, and I think you probably did too, walked away from this episode liking Addison more, liking Derek less, and and like sympathizing with Meredith. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And just totally agreeing with 
Addison's sort of summary that if there's a victim here, it's Meredith. Yeah. I yes. think that's absolutely true. And, and, and I think that, and maybe, and I'm just thinking of this now, that maybe one of the reasons that I like Addison more is because of the ownership that she takes for her role in this. Mm-hmm. You know, Meredith is saying, Meredith is being victimized and Addison is, is at fault and willingly says that, you know, and she's like trying to fight for her relationship. She's trying to call Derek. She's trying to talk to him. She's, you know, apologizing and taking ownership and taking responsibility and and it makes me like both of them more. And it makes me hate Derek because he won't do it. Right. He won't see that he is at fault in similar ways to how Addison is. Yeah. He's just, he's so trapped in this vicious cycle of, of like feeling betrayed. And, yeah. and that's totally, that's totally fair. He was betrayed and, and that's sure. a horrible, awful thing. But what he did to Meredith is also awful. Yeah, he just, <laughs> and he doesn't he see just, that because he's so caught up in how he was betrayed he doesn't have space to think about the consequences of his own actions on other people yeah he's just almost paying his betrayal forward yeah you know like (laughs) that's not what that movie meant yeah it's just such a shitty thing to do with your own feelings it's just off them onto somebody else i just think it's it's i don't know it's immature (laughs) yeah he and burke are both really taking emotional steps backwards yeah, they took some real dives <laughs> yeah and again just grown grown men yes. you know like it's it's easy to forget possibly because of her like you know whiskey and cigarette voice that <laughs> meredith is pretty young yeah I, yeah I mean she's not an undergrad right but but she's young and, has and been in school so is yang the... and so are all of the interns yeah. but the attendings are not <laughs> and, and right right and and i think that this is a few seasons later, but a character later on in the show makes the point that interns are, are emotional and doctors in general are emotionally stunted because they've been in school for their entire lives. Right. That they don't have the like normal, you know, college, post-college, you know, whatever lifestyle that many 20-somethings do. Um, <laughs> and you see that in Meredith and in, you know, all of our interns. But you, it's less excusable for... Especially, especially again, in contrast to Addison, who's in the same age group and clearly has so many more relationship and communication skills than her peers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just sad. Yeah. It's sad for them. It is. All, All right. right. Should we get some, get to some bits? Yeah, let's do the bits. All right. I was really bad at the bits. I was no. really like, <laughs> I half-assed my bits. That's all right. That's all right. You got the death tally that I didn't get. I thought there were no deaths. You pointed that we had a death. Yeah. Who Joe was, was dead for 17 to 45 minutes. Yes. I'm unclear. That's right. One death. Yes. Temporary death. Great. Great. You had a song of the week. I did. Yeah. Um, Looking at the world from the bottom of a well, which is a Mike Doty song. And this is the song that plays in the very beginning when Meredith is drunk. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this it's, the song has a long title, but I always I always think of the song as like when you're sort of it's it's kind of a peppy, upbeat sort of, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a nice song, but um, that looking at the world from the bottom of the wall always makes me feel like I'm drowning. Um, <laughs> and Meredith is drowning. Seattle is drowning. <laughs> Derek is sort of drowning. And it's just I don't know. I just I like I think it's lyrically as well placed. Um, and again, it's sort of that contrast that Grey's is so good at with like dark moments highlighted by upbeat songs. So I like that song. There's also a Joe Purdy song at the end that I really like. But um, I think that for me, that was the song of the week. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really have one. I 
I was really paying attention to what was happening and I noticed incidental music, but I just never, I didn't really catch any featured songs. Yeah. I was like, ah! Yeah. No, I, th- I, and I had to look at, you know, I looked to see if there was, any, sometimes I miss the songs when I get really into the episode. Yeah. Sometimes I miss when there's like, somehow there'll be a wonderful song that I just really missed, but yeah, that's great. <laughs> Unless it's gem. I always know <laughs> when there's gem. You've got a keen ear for gem and the Diddy Bops. <laughs> and the Diddy Bops, yeah. <laughs> Which may be the same band. It's still out for. <laughs> They're the Joe's Bar house band. That's right. That's exactly right. 007. 007, yep. 007? 007? I... God. I just didn't really... I mean, did anybody really fuck up this week? I mean, George didn't practice any medicine, and I don't really think anybody <laughs> trusts him to. Yeah. Um. So maybe that, but other than that, I don't think anybody really, like, shit the bed medically this week. I don't know. Did you have one? No, I think... I agree. I think there were, like, a multitude of Karev's. Like, what would you call that? Like, a murder of Karev's? A pack of Karev's? <laughs> yeah, I think a murder. I a murder of Karev's. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's but right. I agree. There wasn't really an attention to medicine in this episode, so yeah. there wasn't really a 007. Yeah, again, it was another similar to, to uh, the finale of season one, that it's very uh, uh, character-centered as opposed to patient-centered. Yeah, which I think is only going to become more and more of the exactly. Grace, because that becomes that. more and more the criticism of grace right right and that's not true for me because i think it's great <laughs> and i fully support it I, I agree entirely so the krev of the week i guess for me it's burke um i think that he's a a dick to christina <laughs> by the you know karev standards <laughs> yeah. he can't get his emotions in the right place he's under pressure he's lashing out He's emotionally immature, and, and just the way that he treats Christina, I think, is particularly unfair and Karevish. I just kind of wanted him to get it together. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Part of naming him the Karev of the week is just we have high expectations for Burke. Yeah. And so point. when he behaves like Karev, it's even more disappointing than when Karev behaves like Karev. <laughs> so I was really frustrated because I felt like his his choice on his relationship with yang was made pretty unilaterally yeah and i don't think that's yeah that was fair at all he really projected what he thought yang's feelings were rather than asking yang i mean i know he's trying to get yang to talk about her feelings so i guess that's not totally fair to burke Mm -hmm. if he's partnered with someone who refuses to kind of open up but i still felt like the way he went about the breakup was shitty because he put the faults on her yeah like on his projection of how she feels instead of saying like i'm uncomfortable with how you keep shutting me out and so i i don't want to keep doing this you know I I absolutely do. It completely does. And I think that it sort of once again highlights his immaturity, right? I think that at the very end of the episode when Christina says to Meredith, he dumped me, that's a really apt way to explain it, you know, to say that, yeah, he did dump her. And when was the last time you got dumped as a 40-year-old, you know, a relationship between a late 20-something presumably and a presumably, you know early 40 something that to say that you got dumped implies that you did not have a conversation about the end of the relationship, you know, that he truly did dump her. And I think that that's so it's completely unilateral. Exactly. Like you said, you know, there is no conversation that happened. And typically in adult relationships, one person doesn't just 
end it like that. No. You know, it's without not how that some, works. Right, exactly. You a relationship ends after, you know, a, a conversation and, and that didn't even happen, you know. Yeah. She she said maybe fifteen words through that whole <laughs> Burke you know, that whole scene. Yeah. Um so I he think He also it, described the the choice to end the relationship as quote nothing personal. Right. <laughs> I don't know how he avoid getting he avoided getting slapped in yeah, that moment. It's true. <laughs> but she had a lot more restraint than I would have had. I agree. I agree. Nothing personal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 007 goes to Burke. Yeah. No. Karev oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Karev. Karev. Chief president. Yeah. For me, it was it was Addison. Ooh. Yeah, Addison yeah, you made a good point chief. about this. Yeah, you know, I think that she was, if if our chief resident is sort of our best doctor of the week. Um, I know that Burke and Derek did this standstill procedure, um, which is a big deal. But I, I had to go back to that Addison was flown across the country <laughs> to do a procedure that she is one of the only people in the country who, who can do this procedure. So the procedure is a TTTS procedure, which I found out is actually when, when you're pregnant with identical twins, and it's exclusively identical twins, it's when the blood flow from the placenta goes to one twin instead of the other. So one twin is getting many more nutrients than the other twin. Mm-hmm. Um, so what she has to go in and do is essentially split a vein or, you know, the blood flow to two, to, so it goes to both twins. So it's a like a neonatal procedure or fetal, I'm sorry, a fetal p- procedure. And it's this huge deal. And she's, and, and it, nobody's really talking about how excellent, no. you know, that she's like, everybody's like, oh, Burke and uh, Shepard, they're doing this great standstill and they're getting like all these accolades and it's this big fucking deal. And Addison has been th- flown thousands of miles to do this procedure. And she's one of the only people who can do it. You know, yeah. and and she does it, even, you know, even when it becomes emergent, she teaches a young doctor how to do it. She's teaching Meredith, you know, it's like, I don't know, you, you really see her 73 cents to the dollar in this, oh. in this case, <laughs> you know, it's like, all yep. right, she's an excellent doctor and no one, you know, everybody's only just talking about her personal life. Yeah. yeah. Even her patient. So anyway. That's, that's going to be, a, that's a really good point. And it kind of harkens to a comment Yang makes much earlier in the episode to um, to Meredith. She's talking about the pregnancy and she's talking about her own career. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, she's basically saying, I don't want to be an OBGYN and I don't want to work in, you know, dermatology. And yeah. she's like, because she says, I don't want to wear pink scrubs and I don't want to look at faces all day or whatever. Yeah. Squeeze pimples or something like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so there is definitely a hierarchy of surgical skills. And it seems as though Addison is below the rest of sort of the surgical hierarchy. And it seems like a pretty gendered system. Yeah. 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 Because. You know who's who's typically working as OBGYNs now. I mean, certainly not historically, um, but you're gonna have a lot of women in that field, Absolutely. as opposed to say, you know, cardiothoracic surgery. Right. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty frustrating as a fan of Addison and yeah. as as a biological woman <laughs> and feminist. Yes, <laughs> you know. I just, I get really frustrated with it. I mean, just sheer airtime of how much Joe's case gets versus this uh, super, what I think is a super interesting case that right. I had to like research to find out more about because they don't really talk about it. Like yeah. it's just not talked about. 
um, professionally. It's just like, oh, only four other people can do this. Moving on. Right. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about Addison's sex life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so for me, that was the chief resident. Yeah. Um, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. She's just... She's a great doctor. Uh, yeah. And I love her. Okay. Yeah. Uh, line of the week. I mean, it's just so obvious. It's, it's You're my so person. Obvious. That's why I told you I'm pregnant. You're my person. Pam? Yeah. Whatever. This is the first, first incidence of the um, Meredith and Christina, you're my person. Um, at the very end of the episode and and christina tells it in context of you know she has to she has to assign <laughs> it's an kind of funny context. <laughs> it's very funny she has to sign an emergency contact at the uh, abortion clinic for um to get her dnc procedure and she she assigns meredith and she explains it to her she says that's why i told you i'm pregnant um because because you're my person and it just gets me every time <laughs> and it's great because it's such a beautiful simple thing yeah it's like it's just gorgeous and because meredith seems so immediately genuinely touched by it yeah really i'm your person and it's so and she gets it yeah in a second she gets just gets it she She gets 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 everything that it means yang isn't saying like you're my person to drive me home like you're my emergency contact yeah (laughs) yeah and i think that um and this became sort of like the mantra of of girl best friends everywhere. Yes. You know, that totally. like it, it, it means something more. And it's just so Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and the market for like coffee mugs with yeah. you're my person <laughs> on them. Was... I can't tell you how many greeting cards I bought that yeah. <laughs> like you know. This is really blown up. <laughs> it really has. It really has. It's great. Um medical fact of the week. Yeah, you did some solid work. I did. Well, I, you know, I wanted to, um, I read a little bit about the TTTS uh, procedure, which apparently is not in the 16 years or uh, no, (laughs) 16 years, 10 years since the show. um, I think it's actually more, more common now and more easily dealt with. Um, So I looked a little bit into the standstill procedure, which I was interested in the procedure, but I was more interested in the the history of it. I think that um, surgery is, is, you know, like the history of surgery is fascinating to me, right? Because you cut people open and fix them. And there's always like new surgeries and new ways to do old surgeries. And I'm always interested in like, who the fuck did this first, you know, and like who listened to them. (laughs) Um, And this one is particularly interesting to me because it's you essentially kill someone for a period of time in order to perform surgery on them. So I just wanted to know sort of how long has this been going on? Um, So a standstill procedure is actually deep hypothermic circulatory arrest or DHCA. It's obviously an interesting procedure because it involves cooling the body to such a low temperature that it results in clinical death. And clinical death means no heartbeat and no brain activity. So it was originally invented by somebody named Wilfred Bigelow because in the... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a great name. (laughs) Um, in the sort of like the 40s and 50s, um, it's actually it, this is this is actually sort of an ancient procedure. People have been, you know, using hypothermia for um, medicine for, you know, a very, very, very long time for hundreds of years. But the reason that he was interested in doing it is because he wanted to perform surgery on a heart 
that was still, that was not beating. Um, so what's interesting about this is because we now, of course, have cardiac bypass machines. And what a cardiac bypass machine does is it essentially is a mechanical heart and lung right system. So it means that you bypass the heart and the certain, you know, um, cardiothoracic organs um, in order to operate on them. So that's, you know, any open heart surgery is going to use a cardiac bypass machine. Mm -hmm. um, it mimics the work of the heart and the lungs. And so... He wanted, this is before that machine. And so he essentially wanted to see how he could get the heart to stop beating so that he could perform some very delicate work on the heart. Um, and he found one of the, actually one of the early evidence he used was for um, humans and mammals, in fact, to withstand very low body temperatures was hibernating animals. Um, because hibernating animals, of course, decrease their body temperature for a very long period of time. And he sort of used that as early evidence for, for his case, which I thought was interesting. Um, but he found that the body could withstand up to an hour of cardiac death by hypothermia um, before it, you know, started <laughs> losing its, its, its magic a little bit <laughs> before there, there was consequences, I should say. So he didn't actually perform the first surgery. The first surgery was performed in 1952 by uh, a Dr. John Lewis. I was reading some sort of interesting NIH articles about it, but he did his first successful standstill procedure in 1952 on a five-year-old girl and went on to do it 29 more times and was sort of the pioneer of the surgery. Um, just, but, you know, it was sort of invented by this Bigelow fellow and then Lewis actually did it. Um, he act only <laughs> Which I really like, I like that Bigelow yeah. came up with it and then was like, I'm not going to like yeah. try this, but <laughs> right. I think it would work. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> Dr. Lewis had the balls to do it. So he did it. Um, he actually only had three fatalities, which I think for a procedure of this magnitude is probably is, is sort of lauded as being pretty good. He, one thing that I learned is that Infants and the younger the patient, the longer you can withstand being dead <laughs> during the surgery, right? So infants can withstand it for longer than an hour and older people for shorter amounts of time. Um, so his the first time he did it was on a five-year-old girl. Today, it's the DHCA is actually less used for, you know, of course, heart and lung procedures because we have bypass. Um, but it's used on aneurysms like Joe's because it, it cuts off blood flow to the brain. Um, because you're brain dead, so you can you can do sort of this delicate work. It's also used on procedures on the the aortic arch, which is sort of you know that big huge arch in the uh, the arch of the aorta, obviously. Um, <laughs> and let's see, it's clearly really dangerous. Um, but what what I think is interesting about it is that it's it's actually very simple, right? Like you cool the body down. It doesn't involve anything particularly technical, um, but it's dangerous in its simplicity. Um, but but why why it's sort of brilliant, right? Is that it's it's it provides the perfect surgical environment, right? Like nothing can go wrong because you're dead, right? Like things can go wrong when you're trying to bring them back. Um, but, but in terms of an ideal surgical field, this is sort of it, you yeah. know, um, very little can, can sort of go wrong. So I don't know. I just thought it was the, the history of it was a little bit interesting. So. Yeah. I think that I was, when I was sort of skimming through these articles, I think that I was most surprised that it's like simple. <laughs> right. Right. Like that so many people were like, yeah, I mean, we know that this seems like a terrible idea, but it's but actually it works. pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. For sure. God. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought it was sort of a, I, I think that I, I agree that I think that that's what's most fascinating about it is that essentially, and they use like ice packs, like they don't yeah. use anything really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they like use ice packs, cool them down, do their thing, and then use warm blankets to warm them back up. <laughs> and that's it. Like, it's actually quite primitive. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. It's 
Yeah, I I, I was very interested and horrified <laughs> about pretty much all of it. <laughs> Um, works, so. And I don't think it's the last time that we see this kind of procedure used in the show because it seemed really familiar to me. Yeah, from, I agree. I think something in a later episode, but maybe not involving brain surgery. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right that they do use um, hypothermia. I think that's in actually sort of a recent episode or, you know, like a recent season, I should yeah. say, um, when somebody's allergic to anesthesia. And oh, they use hypothermia yeah. or I don't, something, something to that. Something similar. Know. We'll get there in nine years when we eventually make <laughs> it to that season. <laughs> I think it's, I think your original question of like, who would think to do that? Right. It's <laughs> just a really great question. Yeah. You know, about surgeons, period. <laughs> exactly. Like it really just takes a different kind of person, a different kind of like morbid yes. curiosity and ingenious. <laughs> like, Maybe someone who's a big fan of Grey's Anatomy and decided to dedicate a podcast to it. Like maybe that kind of personality. That kind of person who thinks, let's kill them for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that's all of it. That's all the bits. Yeah. I think that's our episode. Thanks so much for listening again. um, Season two is going to be a full season. So you just have so much of me and Megan to look forward to. Please do um, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. If you like what we're doing, leave us a five-star review. You can find us on Podbean, um, which has been a great podcast host. And that's available as an app for Android users. And finally, you can find us on the internet. Uh, we are at code-grays.tumblr.com, and we're also on Twitter at code underscore grays underscore. Every time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for sticking around. Raindrops keep falling on my head, and just like the guy's feet are too big for his bed, nothing seems to fit. Those raindrops are falling on my head, they keep falling.